This is Gary Parrish. This is CBSSports.com. It's now Friday, March 20th, and this is the Ion College Basketball uh, Podcast. And uh, what a wonderful Thursday of the NCAA Tournament. Two 14 seeds win. Big 12 goes 0-3. Five one-point games. Wonderful uh, father-son moment. A controversial call. Everything that people say, when you ask them, what do you love about the NCAA Tournament? They say they love about the NCAA Tournament. It, it happened at some point yesterday between noon and, say, 1 a.m. Eastern, just to a terrific opening Thursday of this 68-team event. We could start anywhere, but I want to start with the a goaltending call in the UCLA-SMU game. If you're the type of person who listens to a college basketball podcast, I'm assuming you know the deal by now. Uh, Matt Norlander and Sam Vecini are here with me. Norlander, I'll start with you. Simple question, uh, should that have been called goaltending at the end of the UCLA-SMU game? I mean, that's a great question. I'm ready to answer it right away. <laughs> Good. Uh, that's an inside joke only with the three of us listeners won't get. Um, so, yeah, that was a bad call in my opinion. I understand the call. I don't like it in real time. When this happened, I knew it was going to be, even before we got, by the way, this was like, what, 440 in the afternoon. We had so much other craziness that happened after this. Um, but I knew it would be uh, a leading topic here on the podcast. I don't like the call. There is no shot. That shot goes in. Uh, if you look at the trajectory, I mean, I watched the video a good 10 times. I, I squeezed it in amid all the other craziness that was happening, and that shot had zero chance of going in. At very best, if you want to say it had a chance to hit the rim, and that's where the technicality, um, the litigiousness of the call comes in, I understand. But just watch watch the shot. I mean, it will not go in. There's, there's, It did not have the parabolic arc it did not have uh the the correct line to hit the rim and have a chance to bounce up and bounce in uh it, it had already kind of passed that point at best it was going to bounce sideways um feel awful for yannick Marrera, who tweeted out a few things and we've got a few of those tweets on the site if you read just night court or anything and you happen to miss them uh it's it's actually really heartbreaking uh that paired with the video of him saying it's all my fault and kind of breaking down at the podium i mean that's that's honestly like the worst of the tournament. Uh, but, you know, heartbreak comes with it. Uh, it really sucks. Uh, in my opinion, SMU should be playing, not UCLA. Uh, and I had UCLA winning, so, you know, whatever. But, uh, you know, officiating controversy seems to be inevitable at some point in this tournament almost every single year. Um, and I do find it just, you know, so oddly and unfortunately perfect that we get a call like this on a weird play like this, and it has to happen in the NCAA tournament. I, I just can't remember a goaltending call on a desperation heave of a three deciding a game. Like, I don't, I'm sure it's happened and I'm, I'm sure maybe I've seen it before, but I can't remember it at the college level. Um, so just, just funky timing. And, um, I, I, you know, plainly put, I don't agree with the call. Uh, I think the first thing people need to understand is the rule because immediately when this happens, folks are all over Twitter and they're yelling, that's absolutely goaltending. That ball was going to hit the rim. Well, hit the rim's got nothing to do with goaltending. Here's the rule. Goaltending occurs when a defensive player touches the ball during a field goal try and each of the following conditions is met. A, uh, the ball is on its downward flight, and B, the ball is above the level of the ring and has the possibility, while in flight, of entering the basket and is not touching the cylinder. So let's start with A. Was the ball in downward flight? Of course it was in downward flight. Nobody's disputing that. But B is where the problem is. Uh, was the ball above the level of the ring and did it have the possibility, while in flight, of entering the basket. I'm with you, Norlander. We watch basketball every single day. That ball had no chance of entering the basket. Could it have hit the rim? Maybe. But even the way it was shot, if it hit the rim, it was scooting into the bench or somewhere like that. It was. It had 
0% chance of actually entering the rim. So it's an awful call. And I can't imagine anybody trying to convince me otherwise. Because, but let's try, Sam. Yeah, <laughs> Sam, it, if you want to explain to me that I'm seeing something I'm not seeing or you're seeing something I'm not seeing, I'm happy to listen to you. Go. Okay, so I think that Matt's right and you. I think you're both right and that you don't want a game to end like that. And I wish that they wouldn't have made the call in a lot of ways just because you're right. I think that there was a 1%, like, Point zero 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 one percent chance that shot was going in. Zero, right? no, zero. That's just too high, Sam. That's too high. It wasn't going in. Whatever, whatever you want to say. There's a that game was decided basically. It was SMU probably going to win, or at least they were going to get fouled, and then uh, someone was going to have to go down and shoot free throws, and then UCLA was going to come back up and come back and try and win it with 13 seconds left or whatever. So, but the other thing is, I do think there's a legitimate argument for basket interference here. That's because, fine, but they didn't call it. That's what they call yeah, it. Yeah, they didn't call basket interference. But if you're going to go by the letter of the law again, I think that this was a violation. It was above the cylinder. It was above the uh, still on its downward flight. And I think that there's a pretty realistic argument that it is a violation of some sort. You're going to call it. If you're going to call it a violation, they probably should have got the violation correct. But I do think that it probably was a violation, and that the okay. So you're going result, same. You're going same church, different pew here. Then you're going yes. basket interference. Okay, okay. listen. If they would have called basket interference, then we could have an entirely different conversation. But they called goaltending, and so that that means at best they missed a basket interference call. You know what they also missed? Yannick Moreira getting pushed in the back. So, like, referees miss calls all the time. So we're not right. debating whether or not they missed. Uh, you know, that miss calls are are a whole different deal. Uh, this is, they called something incorrectly. They called it goaltending, and to any reasonable mind, that's not goaltending. If you want, I, I read the basket interference rule as well. You could make a, a better argument for basket interference than you could ever make for goaltending, but they call goaltending, and that is not goaltending. And how about this? Um, they, you can't review goaltending. So the weird thing is, that's ridiculous. Happened, that is ridiculous. This, this is the weird thing. Like, it's almost like, uh, the NFL went so long where you couldn't re- you couldn't re- review or challenge turnovers or whatever. Now it's just an automatic it's an automatic booth review on a turnover just because it saves everyone time and it's it's better that way. It's almost it's just so weird that you've got this huge moment and it happened. And I don't think we'll have a, a situation like this in the tournament again where you have this game altering call and as a viewer you're sitting there waiting, and this did ha- I remember this happened last year, the year before. There was a big game where, where goaltending, goaltending happened. Everyone was waiting for a review, and it didn't happen. So everyone's waiting for the, the Zebras to go over to the monitor, check it out. Meanwhile, the, like, the game just happens. Like, it was over really, really fast. Um, so that's another, you know, on the laundry list of things that uh, the rules committee needs to examine this year. I mean, goaltending really does need to be on that list. Uh, the fact that it is not a reviewable call – um, is just bizarre at this point. And maybe, you know, sometimes it takes place like this, but it needs to be because you have to get this kind of stuff right. Um, because, you know, maybe you look at it, you say it's not goaltending, but it is basket interference, and you're able to make a different kind of judgment call in the moment. I don't know. Uh, but that was also the really bizarre angle to this. And you're right. Um, Looney, Kevin Looney, uh, jams Marrera in the back on the play. Just a, a really weird play. And... Um, 
you know, one of just, jeez, uh, a dozen freaking amazing games yesterday. And I, feel, I do feel sick for, for Yannick Morero because, and we, we were in studio last night at the CBS Broadcast Center talking about this. Like, you, you never get over that moment. Like, that kid, that kid was hurt last night, and, and I mean, he'll get over it in some ways. Like, he'll move on with his life, but it'll never, it'll never go away. Like, even when you start think, talking about, you know, some of the biggest, those type of moments in NCAA tournament history, the Weber one comes up, right? And at least if you're Chris Weber, you have that moment, and people remember you for it. But you also have like all-star appearances and hundred million dollars, and your your entire career athletically isn't tied to to that one thing. With Yannick Marrero, like most people, most people watching that game yesterday had never heard of him until yesterday, and this will be his defining moment athletically, and that's a that's just awful, man. Because um, I, I don't know, like. I don't know, maybe I'm weird, but I still remember athletic failings from my childhood, like striking out in a 12-year-old state tournament. Like that still, it doesn't hold me back from doing what I want to do, but it's still in my head. I don't remember anything else about my entire 12-year-old season of baseball except striking out in the state tournament. I only remember that, and nobody else remembers it. Nobody else cares. Everybody has you know 12-year-old moments, but like my point is, there are some things that you just stick, they stick with you forever. And this one happened on the biggest stage. And if for no other reason, like UCLA advances, SMU doesn't, whatever. Like, I, I, that really doesn't bother me at all. But that kid having to be stuck with this forever because of an awful call by the officials, I hate that aspect of this. Oh, yeah. And yeah, hey, but li- awesome. good on him. Yeah, I know, it's, it's brutal. Um, but good on him to... Go, I mean, he's not mandated to go to that podium in the post game, but he did. Um, yeah. And you know, handle it about as well as you possibly could. Um, so you know, a weird one, uh, but an amazing game. I mean, GP, if you want to like hit on the other stuff here that happened Thursday, because you know we're recording this shortly before Friday, people might even be listening to this midway through the Friday games. Um, you had the benefit of sitting in a studio. And getting to watch, you know, every possible game in the best possible way, because you'll have all those TVs in front of you. Um, what, uh, I mean, the big one, the, all right, it was a wild day. Most one-point games ever in one day, NCAA tournament history, five of them that set a record. Um, and it, there was just, it was actually a constant hum throughout the day. Like, we might have had one 30-minute period or so uh, that was relatively calm. And then the final 20 minutes of the night when Georgetown, Eastern Washington, got a little crazy but eastern washington never threatened other than that it was kind of like you had to be watching i know i did um but saying all that uh georgia state's win over baylor uh provided what will almost definitely have to be a top three moment of this tournament an all-time moment period um if kentucky goes undefeated that'll probably be the defining image but it's hard to figure but hey this tournament you never know um but rj hunter hitting a TJ Sorrentine-like three-pointer to give Georgia State a win. And in that moment, uh, his, dad, his dad, who would not even have been in that position, he got Terrace Achilles. If he doesn't, Terrace Achilles celebrating the automatic bid, he's probably standing up and jumping, which is a great moment in and of itself. But it's not him needing to sit on a rolly stool on the sideline and legitimately and literally getting knocked off it as the, as the crowd pops and explodes around him. Uh, it is an amazing image. Um, so I don't know if you want to just get into that and what it was like to watch all the games there, but that was, uh, 
I just don't see it topping being topped by anything the rest of the weekend and was just an amazing uh, March moment. That was terrific. I mean, when you're a Sunbelt coach, any any victory in the NCAA tournament is is a huge moment. Like it is it it, it it could be, you know, the moment of your coaching career. And so to get that moment is awesome, independent of everything else. To get it because your son made it happen. I mean, geez. I mean, you guys aren't fathers. So, uh, you know, it's hard to understand what, you know, how proud you can be of your kids over even the dumbest things um, until you're actually a father. Like, on that point, I used to always hear these stories of, um, I'm getting way off track here, but, like, parents would say stuff like, you know, you'd hear about, a kid, like a baby or, you know, a four-year-old, five-year-old, whatever, being sick, like, you know, cancer or something serious like that. And I, and I would, you know, I would always hear like parents say, you know, if I could trade spots with them, I would. Like that was, that's sort of the go-to line, right? God, if I could trade spots with them, I would. And I was always like, that's crazy. I'm not taking anybody's cancer, <laughs> you know, like I, I wouldn't trade spots with anybody. I'd just be happy, happy that I'm, I'm healthy. And then you have kids and I'm being a little facetious, like, you know, but like, that was always my point of view. Like, no way, I wouldn't trade with anybody. How could you possibly care about somebody that much to genuinely be willing to trade those places with them? Um, And then you have kids. And, you know, with my older son, we had a scare when he was younger, like when he was like two years old, it turned out to be nothing. He's healthy. Everything's perfect. But there was about a two week period where I've told this story before. I don't know about it on the podcast, so I don't, I'm not, you know, it's not a secret. We thought he may have a brain tumor. He didn't. It was a false whatever, but there was about a two week period where it was like, oh, wow, we might end up moving to St. Jude. And I just remember going, you know what? I would trade places with him. I would take the brain tumor. Like, my, that's my little boy. And, and so everything is just magnified once you become a parent. And I swear, I cannot imagine anything better. You know, it, it, at least in sports, than that moment that Ron Hunter got to enjoy yesterday. It's an awesome moment for R.J. Hunter, but it's just, it's a moment for R.J. Hunter. Like, you know, he's going to go on and play in the NBA and make shots, presumably, for a long, long time. But, for you know, for a dad to get that, that, that moment with his son on this stage was just fantastic. And I'm with you, Norlander. I, I do believe that Kentucky winning, if Kentucky wins and goes 40, you know, something Kentucky why you know related to Kentucky is going to be the lasting image but I don't know that we'll get a better story than than that father having that moment with his son on this stage and even Ron yesterday when he went to the podium like you could just see how proud he was that wasn't like a basketball coach up there celebrating a basketball win that was a father up there celebrating a an awesome moment with his son and uh it it was uh, in my mind, the, the best moment from yesterday and, and the sweetest moment from yesterday. Sam, your thoughts on watching Ron Hunter and R.J. Hunter uh, turn into March Madness stars? That was that was unbelievable. Um, I, I just stood up and screamed when he made that. That was He pulled up from, like, what, 35 feet? Yeah. That was unbelievable. I have no idea, like, what he was... What he was going for there? I don't. I, I, the win, it, baby. He's going for the win. He's going yeah, for I the said, win. When he shot it, though, I said I. I did know. Yes, I went no. Oh my god! It was like one of those. I, I did oh not, my god! Absolutely. I just Except you know what? Oh. I know, but like when you're such a pure shooter, and when we were Norlander and I at the LeBron camp last summer, he didn't shoot it well this year. I don't know if people realize that he shot like thirty percent from three. Uh, but yeah. he's but he's such a pure shooter 
that it's almost better for him to just get a clean look from there as a as a as yeah. opposed to you know take it up to tw- you know twenty two feet or whatever. Like he had a clean look from there. Why not? He I'm sure he takes that shot every day. So I wasn't as freaked out by the pull up because when you're a natural shooter to get a clean look from there, you can. I mean, you got a clean look. Yeah. Yeah. Someone. Someone did that in the conference tournaments, too. I can't remember who it was, and I thought it was probably the right move. Uh, it, it was more just the way this offensive possession went, right. where they had, like, 20 seconds, I think, and they didn't get within 35 feet of the hoop. And then he pulls up from 35, and it just goes anyway. That was really cool. Um, and then the other thing that's really cool here is that the connections to Valparaiso and Bryce Drew's moment, sure. because Homer Drew was in the crowd, uh, there was the father-son dynamic there, and then it was against Baylor, who's, uh, you know, coach is Scott Drew, uh, Bryce's brother and Homer's father, an assistant on that 98 Valpo team, and he said after the game, like, yeah, that now I've been a pe- part of one of the best moments in NCAA tournament history and one of the worst, and I'll always remember both of them for different reasons, so it was just a crazy, crazy moment. It's an awesome moment for a kid that's probably going to be a first round pick this year if he decides to leave. And I, uh, yeah, that was, that was awesome. That was definitely the best moment of the day for me too. Norlander, do you make a big deal out of the big 12 going Oh, and three or Hey, it doesn't mean anything. Uh, all right. Yeah. A couple thoughts on this one big 12 goes Oh, and three, the state of Texas, by the way, goes Oh, for five in a day and everyone's out, which is just nuts. Um, I don't make a big deal out of this. Uh, to me, this is how you can kind of bring some stupid into the argument because Uh, A three-game sample size based off of, you know, a a tournament where everyone's watching versus, you know, clearly five months of play against, uh, you know, spanning across the sport. Um, It's not a referendum on the Big 12. Uh, This is kind of always kind of be a thing, though, because it's an easy talking point. It's an easy graphic to put up. Um, To me, the Big 12 was still the best conference in the country uh, just because R.J. Hunter hits an absolutely ridiculous shot, uh, just because... Guys, nobody had UAB beating Iowa State. Nobody. That was the automatic of automatic three over fourteens. That happens, and that gets super overshadowed almost immediately by Georgia State winning. Yesterday was ridiculous. Um, so I don't make <laughs> I don't make too much of it. I really don't. Um, this happened. This happened. Uh, remember the year the Big East had eleven teams and had eleven teams, and I think two made the Sweet Sixteen, something like that. Yeah. Um, so and and the Big East was ridiculous that year. So. No, I don't make too much of it. Um, was it an all-time epic conference? No, but you know, kind of indisputably, no matter what you look at, the Big 12 top to bottom was the best league. Obviously, it did not have the caliber at the very top of the conference that you know the ACC might claim, and you know none of its best teams were as good as Wisconsin in the Big Ten or whatever. But I don't see how you could reasonably look at you know the outcome of three games on one day um, and say, man, yeah, the Big 12. Not even a top three league. This thing, this league was so overrated all year. That that's just not that's not a fair or accurate way to evaluate. I'm 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 mostly in agreement with you. I'm I'm not a big believer in gra- drawing grand conclusions from what happens in this event. Um, you know, the, the what happened in the Big Twelve yesterday doesn't necessarily suggest anything about the Big Twelve any more than Connecticut winning the national championship last year suggests Connecticut should have been a one seed in last year's NCAA tournament. This is just a single elimination tournament of 40-minute basketball games. It's fun, uh, but it doesn't always prove what most championship events are designed to prove. That said, you know, people were popping Villanova a little bit. I know not you, Norlander, but some people, like, 
okay, fine. They put together, they got X amount of top 50 wins and X amount of top 100 wins, but who have they really beaten? They didn't sure. beat, they, you know, they didn't beat any other uh, top four seed in the NCAA tournament except for Georgetown, and Georgetown's overseeded anyway. Like, that's what I heard. Have you looked at who the Big 12 beat outside of the league? Um, off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you okay. overall. I remember looking. I looked it up yesterday, last night. Um, I remember looking in December and thinking it was fairly decent, but not at, like outstanding. And the numbers were really good. It's fairly decent, but it's not outstanding. I don't think any Big Twelve team had a non-league win. Any of the relevant Big Ten Twelve teams had a non-league win over any other top three. I know over not over any other top three seed. Um. Kansas has got one over Utah in Kansas City, and they beat Michigan State. Um, Iowa State's got an Arkansas win. Baylor has a, I think it's Baylor has a Stephen F. Austin win. There's yeah. not a, there's not a whole lot there. Like you know, they, uh, Kansas beat Georgetown too. Yeah, Kansas beat Georgetown too. They, they got they got some wins over some four seeds, and and down through the bracket. But the entire Big Twelve has no non league wins over top three seeds. And the best win of the entire group is probably Utah, you know, and, and that's Kansas over Utah, I believe, in Kansas City. So, like, hindsight is what it is, but when you go back and look at what they actually did outside of the league and then look at what happened on the first Thursday of the NCAA tournament, I think you can ask the question, did the Big 12 earn its reputation mostly because we, A, thought a lot of these schools were going to be good, and then, B, um, they beat up on each other once they were all in basically all inside the top 50. Like outside of Kansas State, TCU, Texas Tech, everybody spent most of the year in the top 50 of the RPI. So every time you win a game, for the most part in the league, it's a top 50 win. Woohoo! And every time you lose a game in the league, unless you lost it to one of those three I just mentioned, and even at Kansas State, people were willing to excuse that. If you lost, lost a game, it was like, hey, it's a loss inside the top 50. So you then you take a big picture look at the resume, and they got more top 50 wins than everybody, and they have barely any losses outside of the top 50, and you look up and there's six of them ranked in the top 25. But I wonder how much of it was, and I don't mean to say they manipulated the numbers because I don't think they did. Like, the numbers were just the numbers. But I would wonder how much was just based off the numbers uh, as opposed to these were really six of the best 25 basketball teams in the country. Sam, you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, A, I don't think that you should take these three games and take a lot from them i mean they, they're three games it's only three game sample size it doesn't mean a whole lot in the grand scheme of things having said that i've kind of been on the boat of saying that i thought the acc was the best league anyway uh top to bottom i would agree with you in saying the big 12 is the best league but i thought that the overwhelming talent at the top of the acc was better um just period this year so i kind of figured that they would the acc would succeed more in the tournament than say the say the Big 12 would. Um, but I, I don't like the idea of doing like a doing like a last second look at it and being like or, or putting on your Friday morning quarterback and saying, uh, yeah, the Big 12 is overrated because they lost these three games by by what? A combined what, 10 points? They lost yeah. these three games, something like that. Um, so yeah, I don't Forget, forget, forget that though. How about this? The Big Twelve is overrated because when you go back and look at it, they really didn't do much outside of the league. They, most of their quality wins are merely the product of coming against each other. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm just wondering, is that a fair question? Um, I, yeah, I think it is. I mean, like I said, I've been kind of 
beating the drum saying the ACC was a better league generally. Um, I, I mean, I don't know that I would go as far as to say it was a bad league. I still think it was the yeah, second. No, you would not league. go as far as to say the Big Twelve was a bad league. No, 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 no. no. Like I, I no. wouldn't even go as far as to say that it was like a worse league than the Big East this year. Just the remember, East remember this. Remember this. Like with the uh, with football this year, college football, the SEC um, after it had an awful bowl performance, like Ole Miss mm-hmm. gets, you know loses, Mississippi State loses, Alabama loses, and people went. W- started going back and saying, okay, why did we think all these SEC schools were the best we've ever seen? Because they didn't really do anything outside of the league. It's just like they, they built reputations and then they all played each other and, and, and distorted our view of what was actually there. Turns out when they have to play other, other good teams from other good leagues, uh, they're just, they're no different than the rest of us. Uh, Is that possible with the big 12 here? Because again, when the entire league's best non-league win and let me be clear that I didn't go through the whole thing but I went through the tops like Kansas Iowa State Oklahoma Baylor um so on and so forth I just assumed that I, I didn't go through the whole league but I, I'm I, I went through the top half I went through the basic NCAA tournament teams and the, you know I there aren't any great wins there in the non-league Utah's the best one Utah in your home state's the best win of all uh big 12 non-league wins and so um I just wonder if it does, doesn't feel a little bit like SEC football. Nobody thinks SEC football sucks this past year, but did people think maybe SEC football got a little overrated? Like, you got to remember, at one time, the top four teams in the country in, in football were, were four SEC teams. And it was like Alabama, Auburn, Ole Miss, Mississippi State. And was that distorted because we weren't looking at it clearly and what happened in the bowl games highlighted that? I, I'm just wondering if that same deal applies to the Big 12 in basketball right now? To a certain extent, I think it might. Um, would also be interested in looking at uh, Big East, ACC, Big 10, uh, and seeing comparatively how many wins those leagues had against teams, you know, seated fourth or better. Uh, I, I did just look at the Big East. It's one. Providence beat Notre Dame. Right. Okay. Um, so just generally speaking, so it could be relative uh, to we, what we have here. Duke would have a Wisconsin one. Yeah, yeah, and Duke would have two. Uh, it would have Wisconsin, and it would have actually no. It would have three. It would have Wisconsin, Virginia, Notre Dame. Um, well, he's talking. Well, that's outside of league. Of league. I'm talking. Oh, you're talking outside. outside. Sorry, 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 sorry. Yeah, yeah. apologies on that. Uh, yeah, you're right. So it would just have Wisconsin, right. but you know, regardless, um, just uh, kind of a crazy. I'm just looking at the bracket here. I mean, this yesterday. Well, how about this? Like, look at the bracket right now, and then we'll get out of here. But you know, it's so funny. We the bracket comes out on Sunday night. We all like. What's the toughest region? Oh, look at this path this team's going to have to take. And then we look up on Friday morning. Either Xavier or Georgia State's going to be in the Sweet 16. Either UCLA or UAB is going to be in yep. the Sweet 16. So here we are. Yeah. Oh, the funniest thing about the UCLA-UAB thing is that that was the last place game in the Battle for Atlantis in November. Yeah, that's so <laughs> funky. How about that? Yeah. That's ridiculous. Um yeah, I'm just gonna just take. I'm gonna just gonna take off a few thoughts here, and then you guys can take it from wherever you want. Um, LSU absolutely LSU'd the LSU out of that game. Uh, they had zero. <laughs> they had zero business losing that game. Uh, I watched the majority of it. You know, missed their I'm, last twelve field goals and their last yes, six free throws, and did not score in the final four minutes. Uh, and NC State has made a habit of of winning. Uh, weird postseason games like this. Do you remember the uh, the St. Louis game uh, last year? Uh, ridiculous. Yeah, um, they blew but it. But this, this is just unreal. Um, 
that was my primary game that I had on the TV for most of that second half uh, watching yesterday. Uh, I, I didn't really care necessarily. I wasn't rooting for one team or another, but LSU losing actually made me like, I, got, I was getting angry. Uh, I can't even imagine what LSU fans must be going through. So Villanova plays NC State, yada, yada. Um, Purdue had zero business losing to Cincinnati in the other 8-9 game on the other side of the bracket. They led by 8 with 48 seconds to go. They can't close it out. It gets to overtime. Cincinnati wins. Purdue would have been, you know, Sam You know, Sam said on this podcast, Purdue had a chance to beat Kentucky. And now we're not I even going to have I did not say that. And now we're not going to get that. Listen, I, listen since he's, since he's going to try and just slog it and out as much as possible and try and uh, take at least one lead like Hampton. Hampton did lead Kentucky at one point. Um, but that is brutal for Purdue. It had, it had no business. When you're up by eight with 48 seconds to go against a slow-tempo team that can't shoot, you should not lose a game under any circumstances. Purdue very much did. Um, you wonder if Hoiberg uh, – I, I think he'll be back. But I'm saying, like, will an NBA job open as he coached his last gig? Rick Barnes, Texas looked awful. Butler played Butler ball. Rick Barnes, got to think he's done. So Butler moves on to play. By the way, Notre Dame Northeastern, that game was actually in depth. That was the first game of the day. And we were like, oh, this is kind of awesome because we thought these three versus four teams would be a snore to start the day and then look at everything that happened. Tournament is ridiculous. Just bonkers that Notre Dame Northeastern feels like two years ago. And Notre Dame very well could have lost that game. Um Carolina Harvard almost feels like an afterthought. I mean, Harvard could have won the game. It's only a two-point loss. Uh, Heels almost blew it. And then VCU Ohio State went to overtime, a three-point game that went to overtime. D'Angelo Russell, uh, the tournament is better for having him still in it. He was just insane to watch. I am so happy that we get to see him try and do what he does against Arizona on Saturday, a 5-15 game on CBS. Um and that doesn't even get into, like, we had other decent games. Arkansas, Wofford was enjoyable, if not slow. Wofford very well could have won it. Uh, Utah handled Stephen F. Austin. I lost three Sweet 16 teams yesterday. It, the tournament, basically, was everything we want it to be. It is, it is quite simply amazing how this thing is foolproof in terms of not being incredible. Every single year, whether it, if it doesn't happen on the first Friday, it'll happen on fr- uh, Thursday, it'll happen on Friday. If we, for some reason, it almost never happens, get a boring round of 64, we'll make up to it by the time we get to a Sweet 16. Every single year, this tournament gives us at least seven to ten ridiculous games, and we're on pace for 20 at this point. I mean, I do a top ten list of the best games of the tournament every year. I've already got half of it filled out to this point. I don't even understand how I'm, gonna, how I'm not going to be able to keep it down to ten, so... Um, it was just amazing. I'm on like three and a half hours of sleep. I'm rambling. Uh, I have like no food in my house and I love this sport. Wow. That was something Norlander. You sound, so you, you sound like you, you sound like you're going through it a little bit. You okay? I'm going through some stuff over here. Guys. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, listen, go get some food and put it in your house. Okay. Cause like anybody that has a home should have food inside of that home. So I want you to go to do that. Uh, Sam, I want uh, you to go read the goaltending rule call a hundred times and then write it on a chalkboard and study it so that we don't have to debate whether that was goaltending or not yesterday. Hey, I didn't debate if it was goaltending. <laughs> so. uh, no, no, you make a good point um, about the basket interference thing. Had they, had they called it basket interference, I think that that's a much easier call to try to defend. Uh, but when they actually, like, the call is a goaltending call, I just don't, uh, I don't, I don't see how it's a uh, goaltending. But guess what? Now it's time to go do it all again. So you guys go uh, do your thing. I'm going to do my thing. And then we'll meet back here either late Sunday or early Monday and uh, look ahead to the Sweet 16. Till then, uh, take care.